0: So far, everything's good. So, open a Bible if you would to Luke chapter eight, verses twenty-six to thirty-nine. And and as we get started, this is the Gerasene, Gerasene uh, demoniac, uh, also sometimes the, referred to as the Gadarene demoniac, depending on which gospel. You're looking at, um, so he's a demon possessed man. And in in our just as a preface, I would say, the modern world tends to think that angels and demons are kind of, you know, fairy tales. And when I when I first started out as a pastor in the ministry. I would say, so I was in Iowa, Northwest Iowa. And it was really tame. You know, there's just nothing really going on. I don't think I did one house blessing. Um, Nobody ever complained about any weirdness going on, you know, like uh, paranormal activity or anything like that. And then I went to Northwest Indiana, uh, took a call to Northwest Indiana and people were having all kinds of weird things happening in their houses, Um, and I did a lot of house blessings. And when I first started doing house blessings in Indiana, some of the older folks there thought that was weird that I was doing house blessings, and they were like, why are you doing that? And I said, well, you know, there's angels, there's demons, there's good, there's evil, and sometimes evil really tries to push in on people and, and on their lives. And so it became a, a teaching opportunity. And um so when I think about an account like this in in the gospels, it's it's a real thing. And You know, in many cases, people don't suffer um, demon possession, but maybe oppression. And, um, you know, just torment. But what we see in this text today is a demon possession. Um, When we look at it, it also has some themes of... um, the catechumenate, where uh, one is being drawn out of the world. So, you know, there's like two levels to this text. So, one is the historical historical account, where Jesus comes onto the shore and finds this this man demon possessed, and he heals him, and you know changes his turns his life around. But then there's also a lot of symbolism. So, you know, you kind of look at it like an icon and you see different spiritual themes at work within it. So early Christians, for example, they often had like a three or four year catechumenate, um, even for adults, which is a, you know, a stretch for the modern culture. But, um, but in those days they did it, but there was also exorcism that that would take place somewhere within the catechumenate or, or at the beginning. Um, in those days there was a lot of occult activity, uh, a lot of paganism, uh, Greek philosophy and there were mystery religions that there were a lot of people caught in in these different things, and so uh, it seems to me that as we look at this text this morning, that the man that is possessed might have been involved in some pagan ritual practices of sacrifice and so there's there's a lot of themes weaving in and out, and we'll we'll do our best to to get through it today and uh, take a look and see what Jesus means to teach us. So let's take a look at the text itself. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Let's just read through it and then we'll, we'll walk through the, the handout. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds, and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion. Because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man And entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, and came to Jesus, and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus Clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city. What great things Jesus had done for him. And this is the text. Um, So, what do we see in this text as we as we look upon it? Well, so you have the synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark and Luke, and they tend to cover much the same material in in similar ways. John's Gospel differs um, quite a bit, but usually, even in the synoptic Gospels they rearrange the order of events to fit maybe the theme. So like if Mark's going for a certain theme or Matthew's writing to Jewish converts to Christianity, so maybe he emphasizes certain things. But all three synoptic gospels have these four accounts in order. So calming this, Jesus calming the storm, driving of the demons into the pigs, the woman with the flow of blood and the raising of Jairus' daughter. Those are all in the same order in all three Gospels, which would lead us to think that these did all happen in that same order in the same kind of frame of time. But Jesus' relation to the demons is highlighted in the exorcism uh, in the Capernaum synagogue, for example. Uh, where Jesus is preaching. So if you just take a quick look back, just for a little context of Jesus and the demons, you can go to uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, 33 to 37. And I guess back up to Luke four thirty-one. Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So similar to what we see in our text... And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. In these accounts, there's emphasis on the distinction between Jesus and the demons. And it's expressed as, what have you to do with us? In other words, we have nothing in common. You know, it's, it's expressed. You know, there's holiness, and then there's evil. And, you know, this... This then paints the the picture of the Christian life in the same way where because we belong to Jesus through baptism, we have nothing in common with evil. Uh, The distinction is made by the contrast between the Holy One of God and then unclean spirit. But in the texts, and we see this in a few places in the Bible where demons try to stay in the corners and the cracks and the crevices in the shadows they don't really want to be exposed and it makes sense right because you know if if a demon or the devil comes with horns and a pitchfork then we're ready for that right but it's it's always under the guise of something else and you know, the, the, trick, the trick to it all is that, you know, Lucifer's fall was pride, right? And Lucifer wanted to be God. And so, you know, this would be a great study for another time, but in the Old Testament, there's actual imagery for Lucifer and then describing his fall. And... So what, what the devil tries to do is mimic Jesus. So Jesus, the son of God is incarnate, right? Comes in the flesh. And so the devil and evil try to do the same thing. They come in and underneath things. And, and Jesus, of course, comes in the flesh in order to be crucified and die for the sins of the world and then be raised on the third day, but evil, if it comes in and under things, it can only be for destruction, and it can only they can only destroy what they what they inhabit and and the space that they take up um, This is important for the Christian life uh for us that you know. What do we tend ourselves to? Uh, things that, that maybe seem to be uh, harmless. Uh, that might be the guise at the beginning, but it can then lead to other things because evil can only destroy. And so darkness breeds more darkness And so the only thing that can counteract the darkness is the light of Christ, which is what uh, we heard in John 3 this morning uh, as we prayed. But the demons immediately recognize Jesus. They know who he is. That's the interesting thing about evil, right? That, like um, James, the book of James says... Even the demons believe and tremble, right? Because, and so evil knows, they know the scriptures, but it's all twisted. And so, you know, there's all this going on. They know what holiness looks like, but they, they, they run from it. And the demons, though, they must submit to Jesus' authoritative command. And so you see this in Luke 4 and then Luke 8. And it prevents them from working further harm to their victims. So back to Luke 8. Let's see here. But if you look at this text, so you, you look at the, the conversation back and forth between Jesus and the demons. And Jesus first asks in verse 30, what is your name? And it's Legion. And on the handout, I have put it down for you to to look at, I think on the second page, a legion in the Roman military would have 6,000 foot soldiers in addition to cavalry. So the fact that the demon responds by saying, my name is legion, this this man has major problems. 6,000 or more demons within this man. But we know from the scriptures from the Gospels, that it is the way of Jesus to be compassionate toward those who are in need. And so he steps on the shore and immediately he encounters this man. And Acts 10.38 is, is, is interesting to me because it gives just a little bit of context from the early Christians As to what they think about Jesus. So, Acts 10.38. Yeah, okay. So, Peter's preaching to Cornelius' household. And he says in verse 36, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So even there in the early church, as they preached, they they had this clear understanding that Jesus went to undo the devil's work. And this is what we see in this text. So in verse 26, it's a subtle indication of Jesus' mission to the pagans. Since this, the Gerasene region or Gadarene region was Gentile territory, it was not Jewish territory. And it was it was the it was a loose federation of the hellenistic city-states called the decapolis but the man lives among the tombs in verse 27 as we're told and unclean things were for the tombs and away from people and there's some scripture there you can look at later but if you turn the page see isaiah chapter 65 So take a look at Isaiah 65 in relation to this. Because as we know, pigs in the Bible are unclean, right? It was against Jewish law to eat eat pigs. Um, But look at Isaiah 65 verses 1 to 5. And it reads... I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens... And burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves, and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh, and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you, these are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day." Now, doesn't that sound like our text for this morning? So it's it's begging. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah is considered the gospel of the Old Testament. Has anybody ever heard that before? The gospel of the Old Testament. Because there's so much that's pointing to Jesus and, and his work. And so here it is in Isaiah 65, and you get this, this sense that, Isaiah sixty five is getting us ready for Luke eight with this Garrison Demoniac. What's interesting to me is back to Luke chapter eight, if you back up, you have the the calming of the storm before the demon possessed man being healed. So this would be Luke 8, to 25. And as you know, there's the windstorm and the disciples are unnerved and Jesus rebukes the wind and the raging of the water and it ceased and there's a calm. And then in verse 30 or 25, Jesus says to them, where is your faith? And then it says, and they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So what I'm thinking, and I I wonder about this, Luke is using the disciples to ask the question, and then ironically, Luke is using the demon-possessed man to answer the question? Isn't, it, isn't that interesting? Because they say in verse 28, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So they, they answer the question. But how did the demon-possessed man get like this? Did he just wake up one morning and poof, there's 6,000 demons inside of him? Not likely, right? It, you know, the devil rarely destroys a person all in one day. It's, it's usually slow you know, it's a slow pull, a slow turn. It's just, you know, moving the gaze just ever so slightly. And why, why would that be? If it's quick, then we'll be ready, right? But it's, it's always like a slow numbing. In fact, um, the early Christians, so patristic, so the first four centuries of Christianity they thought a lot about vices and virtues and, you know, the work of demons and the work of God. And uh, Gregory of Nyssa, so he was an early, he was a Cap- Cap- one of the Cappadocian fathers. And Gregory of Nyssa said, you can do more in converting, you, you can do more in talking with a spirited atheist than you can someone who's numb. And I think he even said, like, even a Christian who's numb. And so, you know, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like a a demonic spell when people grow numb or when a culture grows numb. Because it's just kind of this, this slow drawing away and then the devil takes over. And perhaps this is what happened to this man. But the people's response is chain him, keep him away. You know, they don't know what to do with him. He has extra powerful strength. In one of the other accounts, he even cuts himself. And he just lives in the tombs. So his, his state is, his environment is like his life. He's, as he lives, though, he's dead. He lives among the dead. And there's no way out for him. His townspeople, they don't know what to do with him. Because this is part of, part of the way evil works is it isolates it walls people off and separates and makes them alone. And this is his state, right? But Jesus comes into the environment. And so if you look at this like you're looking at a beautiful picture, a beautiful icon, the man's life is dark and gray and dull. But Jesus steps on to the shore, and as he steps there is color, you know, the grass turns green again, and, you know, the flowers take on their yellow and red, and, you know, Jesus steps in, and he begins to speak. In fact, his just very, his very coming pulls the evil out, and so, you know, for us, if, if we paint ourselves into the icon, into the picture... We see that whenever Jesus and his holy things enter our environment, good good will happen. Evil must flee. And so you think about your life in the church. You come into the church and the word is read. Jesus steps onto the shore of your life. And whatever is troubling you, uh, Jesus will turn it around. He will cast away the evil as he casts away the darkness as his light shines into your life. And so, like Martin Luther, he talked about the word and the sacraments. And he said that the word and the sacraments are, bless you, what we call performative. It does what it promises. So when you come to church and God's word is read at the lectern and then preached upon, it gives you what it proclaims and what it promises. And so the Holy Spirit comes and begins to change the dynamics of what's happening in your life. Because, you know, evil is always on the prowl, right? Peter says, brethren, be sober and vigilant for the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And so, you know, there's always that going on, but we don't have to worry about that. Because when Jesus and his word come into our mix, into our lives... He brings light. And so what what happens here is, as Jesus does his thing, he casts the demons into the pigs. So you have the, the farmers that are there watching. And this is a great text for the mission of the church too. Because, you know, you... There's several dynamics at work. And so the herdsmen see the pigs. And and how do they rush when, when the demons go into the pigs? How do, how do they... Do they just sort of like, you know, linger along and... Oops! <laughs> no. They, in a mad rush, violently into the sea, into the abyss. And... What do the herdsmen do? But they go back to the townspeople and they say, "You won't believe what I saw." And then people come back. And as they come back, what does it say about them? It says the whole look at verse 37 the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear and he got into the boat and returned. Now, isn't that tragic? They have the Lord and giver of life entered their Gentile lands And the gospel incarnate is coming to set them free. And what do they say? Would you just please leave? I just can't. This is too much for me. I can't handle this. And, you know, the interesting thing is a lot of our world is like that. Dealing with good and evil Holiness versus wickedness, uh, the whole thing scares people sometimes. But when it's Jesus, it shouldn't be frightful if they understood it. But it is very possible that this region, because it was a Hellenized Greek Region, and there's the pigs and the tomb. There is some some background that there were some Greek religions and practices where they would sacrifice pigs at at the tombs and they had a whole religion that sort of weaved around that kind of thing. So it is quite possible that there were... um, different religious practices. And so Jesus comes and he seems foreign to them. But let's take a look because here I am again. I'm going to run out of time, I see. But look, look at the picture and the contrast of the man. So, you know, if you look at the... If you look at the picture, the picture has, he's clothed in this picture, but um, he was naked first, right? Naked, out of his mind, and he's alone, he's in the tombs, he's crazed. But the end is different. Verse 34. Or verse 35. They went out to see what had happened. And came to Jesus. And found the man. From whom the demons had departed. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothed. And in his right mind. And that is. The picture of the catechumenate. So in in Jewish rabbi disciple practice the the disciples would always sit at the feet of their rabbi and learn and be instructed into the way of life the fact that he goes from being naked to being clothed is baptismal imagery We put on the robe of Christ's righteousness in baptism. And he's of sound mind. Now, I know this is technical stuff. But the word for... And I have it here on the third page of the handout. That Greek word comes from wisdom. So, to be of sound mind is to be wise. What I think is beautiful about the Greek New Testament is how you see something like this in the Gospels and then Paul or Peter, for example, will then use that language for a holy life. So, take a quick look at a couple of these passages. So, Go to Titus 2 verse 12 and start at verse 11. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And... The soberly is the sound mind. So it's it's a it is a, a holy um, characteristic that comes from being being Christ's, and then Romans well Second Timothy one verse seven. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then one more, Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, soberly is kind of a strange translation because soberly sounds like, you know, kind of subdued. And I mean, it's not like drunkenness versus sober, but it's more like, you know, grounded or level. But, you know, what this really is, is like a new mind you get a new way of looking at the world and life and situations. And so where this is helpful for us is we see ourselves in this man. We, at one time, were unclothed. But then we were brought to the baptismal font and we were clothed, clothed with Jesus, the robe of righteousness. And we have been cleansed and we have been given that sound mind of wisdom where we look at the world through the lens of Jesus. And so what does that mean for us then as we journey? Well, for one thing, we don't have to be fearful. You know, sometimes when you think about demons and demon possession or demon oppression and that kind of stuff, it can be scary, but not for a Christian because Jesus commands them. And so as we rest in the sacramental gifts of Christ, he is always casting away any darkness and then taking his seat with us and blessing us always and as he's teaching us and blessing us through his sacramental gifts he is giving us the mind of wisdom so that we can see things in the proper way so when evil's coming we see it for what it is and we know what to do we know where to go we go to the eucharist we go to confession and absolution we go to the church we don't allow ourselves to remain isolated but we go where the community of of believers is to be fo- is found and there we have all the brothers and sisters of christ you have your pastors And we all journey together with Jesus at the front. And Jesus will bless your life. He will care for you. And so the text ends with the man wanting to, he wants to stay with Jesus. Because Jesus is going to go back on the other side. But in this case, Jesus says in verse 39, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. So he goes, he's to go back to his own house. He is in a sense now a missionary in his own country. And he's simply going to recount. He he himself is, is now an icon to all the people that knew him. They're like, hey, there's the guy. There's the guy that was crazed and had all kinds of weird stuff going on and lived in the tombs. And now look at him. He's talking about Jesus. And he is completely different. And. So even in... So, and so this is the beautiful thing, too, about Jesus. What do, the, what do the townspeople in the countryside want? Jesus, just go. Get as far away from us as you can. But then what does Jesus do? He tells this guy, just go and live amongst them and witness. And, and I'll take care of the rest. And so... Um, The life that's filled with grace um, is is always by virtue of the power of Christ and his light, a witness to to people out in the world. And for those who walk in darkness, they have seen a great light. There are a few few, uh, passages here that you can take a look at. Um when you have a chance, there's the uh quote from Cyril of Jerusalem, who talks a little bit about exorcism and catechesis um, and let me see, but I guess so in conclusion, it is a baptismal text in a sense, where we find. Jesus turning the world around and bringing peace and hope uh, to our lives. And therefore, we never need to fear, but just rest, rest in the gifts of Christ. So uh, it is time to go. If you have any questions or comments, uh, just grab me afterwards and let's go ahead and close with uh, prayer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, whose grace always precedes and follows us, help us to forsake all trust in earthly gain and to find in you our heavenly treasure. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Blessings to you all.